We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to episode 382 of the Barcelona Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Gene Hilton, and joining me again is Doma Goy Kastainchuk. How's it going, Doma Goy? Pretty good myself. How are you, Dan? Uh, well, I, I think, I mean, otherwise I'm fine, but the Barcelona part of me, I think, shares the same sentiments <laughs> that a lot of people do. And what we're talking about today, we're reviewing that 0-0 draw with Rara Varcano and where that might lead Barcelona in the transfer window for the remaining two weeks of the, of the season, the transfer window, rather, season. While, you know, we have said that Barcelona have one or two moves left, or I was proud of them for getting all their business done, it seems like they're still an incomplete team. And I think that's the, Domingo, the most frustrating and deflating part of it is that even the bench, when Frankie de Young and Ansu Fati came off, we saw Nico leave on loan, so he's out of the picture. But by and large, the players that came off the bench are basically Xavi's best 14, 15 players. I mean, that's who this team is going to be this season, barring one or two additional signings, with the exception of Bernardo Silva, who will throw a monkey wrench into all of that, and Frankie de Young's departure, not the other direction, but in a different direction. So, you know, you're left with this team that... You know, by and large, you expected to come out and get a result. But a lot of credit, I think, where we begin this, and I think a lot of people are going to immediately tune out, is a lot of credit is due to Rai Vaikano. Setting up in that four four two, a medium block, and they solved the puzzle that they solved twice last year that Barcelona presented. And even with enhanced talent, it seemed like the same issues that Barca had against Rai last year continue to be the same this year. Yes, I would I would agree with that. And it's not just Rai either. It's just I feel like with Barcelona... If you successfully shut down the middle of the park, you 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 close those lanes that they go to Busquets, that go to the interiors. That you you solve more than half the issue against Barca. You can just send them out wide, and then they'll kind of panic and and try and do the same thing over and over again. Which, if it doesn't work, obviously you need some you need you need to shake the things up and change something. But oftentimes it happens that Barca come in with a plan, and if that initial plan doesn't work, they, they just keep banging their head against the wall just keep trying the same thing and if it's clear not working you need to change things up and and i I feel like chavi hasn't really done that just yet and this team on paper is is a really good team i mean uh, this summer has been very uh strange i would say it's been exciting of course uh with all the money being spent and just barca being able to spend money in the first place i guess but it will it will take time for those players to click of course that's also one one of the factors that we have to Take into consideration, but uh, yes, credit to Rayo. They they have solved the puzzle. They their their block was really well organized. They were very compact in the middle, and they used their 
the middle block well to just keep Busquets kind of shut down, and and they use the cover shot as well. They at, at times there was one player covering two Barca players, and Barca just couldn't create those superiorities that Xavi keeps talking about. He keeps talking about having the numbers, having having the the movement to exploit the space. But Rayo moved so well to to keep our players in the cover shadow, to keep the, the passing lanes blocked, or rather just preventing those passing lanes from even ever being created. So that's how you play against Barca. You just suffocate their options down the middle. And I feel like at that point, you need a bit of magic, I guess. You need you need to, to come up with a different formula other than give the ball to Dembele, give the ball to Rafinha and just hope they do something. It used to be Messi in that role. You know, when, when Barca was struggling, we just give the ball to Messi. He'll do something out of nothing. And, and, and suddenly you're 1-0 up. And, and I feel like Barca, if they don't get that initial goal, especially early on, they get nervous, they get frustrated, they get like, they, they start to panic. And once that happens, you know, everything just goes out the window. And I feel like Xavi himself being relatively new to this, to this high state, high level stage, I feel like he panics as well a bit uh, and just throws the attackers into, onto the field, just makes changes that maybe are not necessarily for the best. Although I feel like Frankie de Jong, for example, he did change the game. Also Fadi, of course, I, I, those are the changes that I, that I welcome. But at the same time, it feels like we panicked a bit. And once we start panicking and once we, we, we stop, uh, stop thinking, I would say, uh, it's, that's, that's where everything goes kind of sideways. Well, I think where that begins, and you talked about give the ball to Messi and see what happens. And I felt like against Rayo, Barca's fullbacks in particular were giving the ball to Dembele and Rafinha and saying, hey, go forward and see what happens. Mm-hmm. And yeah. when those two players, as we saw in the preseason, uh, and I think people are immediately brought up, you know, the level of intensity in the preseason is a lot different than when it comes to a Liga match for a team ready to go against Barcelona with that game plan, who spent weeks preparing for Barcelona uh, and knowing, not, not say that, I think Rafinha was immediately kind of discarded by some in saying that he always wants to get onto his left foot, which is true, but he also did that with quite a lot of regularity. So it wasn't necessarily a concern for me because he has the ability to get on his left foot as much as he, he needs to or wants to. And then on the other side, I mean, if he had just been a little tidier in his finishing, then we would be having a different conversation. And a lot of this is too, that if Barca had won 2 nothing or one nothing against Rayo, if one of those shots from, uh, I mean, if the one from Lewandowski goes in, if the two from or three from Rafinha go in, if the one from Dembele goes in, then it's again a different conversation. But I think what we really need to focus on here, the big conversation, is certainly the fullback experiment. And I still call it experiment because I think Xavi's in stuck between two minds of Ron Rajo, and we're seeing that play out. Now, I don't know how Jules Kunde fits into this solution, if you will, but clearly for the, the Rajo right-back experiment is about his development. And I think it's very difficult to judge Rajo based on just the performance against Ryan Vaicano because we're trying to figure out what he's, or can he do the job that Xavi needs him to do at right back, therefore he can move back to center back, right? Like, it's like he has to cross his threshold, this Rubicon, to earn his minutes back at center back. And and for Alba, the concern with me, and it seems like some within the club agree with this, that he had kind of a bleh preseason, and, you know, I discarded it because it's Jordi Alba. We've seen him in, you know, Copa del Rey matches, in La Liga matches, you know, at Hadafe on the road or at name, name, insert relegated team here on the road, you know, going in second gear. And then he picks it up when he needs to, with the exception of 
the big, big matches where he doesn't seem to get to the level. But everywhere in the middle, Jordi Alba is fantastic. And it seems like for this one, he wasn't ready for it. And he wasn't ready for the preseason matches. And that is concerning. And it feels like for him, the club is already preparing. Well, you know, if you have one plus 30, who knows what they're going to give us fullback in Jordi Alba. Let's bring another one in Marcos Alonso. And maybe throughout the course of a season, one of the two can figure things out. But with Alba's standing as a captain in the team and his position as not a sacred cow, but as you know, an important player that has been an influential and significant player on that left side, especially when they try to overload the left side attack. And he has been so important to what Barca are always doing to not have that outlet on the left side when you're staying strong siding to go to try to create that numerical advantage to reverse the field with diagonal ball creates problems on your right side as well. And then with Araujo, yeah, it was just give the ball to Rafinha or Dembele in front of him and see what would happen here. And so, I mean, I think those who were complaining about the fullbacks all season long, I mean, I think our last season and the transfer window, I think they've all been vindicated because even though Bernardo Silva might be on the way, is Bernardo Silva doesn't solve your right back issues. You know, like can Frankie de Young play right back? Is that, is that, is that what we're asking if Bernardo Silva comes in? I mean, I'm, <laughs> yeah, I say not... that in jest, of course, but. <laughs> <laughs> it's a possibility. You know, I, I've seen people discuss that both with Frankie and, and with Nico as well, I think. Uh, both have the, those uh, progressive routes. They have that straight line running power, and people are like, well, just let's just put Frankie on the right back. He might he might do the job, and you know what? He maybe maybe he could, but you know that's that's a topic for another time, I guess. Uh, yeah, fullbacks. I feel like feel like I, as as much as we talk about this, and we always keep getting back to it, not just this podcast, but in general, of course, cool they always it always seems to be the the fullback problem. And to me, it's kind of strange because we've spent so much money this, this transfer window. And, and granted, yes, we've made the team stronger, obviously, and, and patched up some areas that need to be patched up. And all that's fine. But now we're talking about potentially investing another, what, 70 to, to even 100 million to Bernardo Silva, who, okay, yes, he's a quality player. We all know that. He would elevate his team probably, yes. But at the same time, how do you leave the fullback areas for last? And, and apparently we just we're going to spend what 10 million euros or 20 million euros for a new right back or something and and for that kind of money who can you realistically get we've sort of list right that that leaked well yesterday or something uh it's not really an impressive list and and, and to yeah, be fair we, that's can we don't worry can we go through that list before we move on yeah yeah, yeah go, yeah, for, so go let's, ahead let's do it those apparent right back options because they it seems like dest and the concern when xavi came in with dest was going to be that positional play i mean the concern with Des coming to Barcelona when he was 19 years old was always going to be that positional mm-hmm. play. And it seems like he's not progressed the way that Xavi wants in any way. And even some of the other options that are similar to him in a, a Hector Bellerin, who was at Real Betis and Arsenal, it seems like Barcelona have thrown that one out as well. So it seems like the short list here is Jeremy Frimpong, a 21-year-old former Man City youth player who came up through their system. He's a Dutch uh, right back. Uh, I, I didn't actually call him a wingback of anything I've seen of him. I mean, I haven't seen much of him. I saw maybe yeah. a match or two with him at Celtic where he was figuring things out. Again, he was, I think, 19 when he made that move. Then he moves to Bayern Lever- uh, Bayer Leverkusen in January of 2021. I've probably seen him once there. Just seems like he really needs to get forward, a speedy wide right back. Again, 21 years old. And then the other choices here, Aaron uh, Juan Basaka, the 24-year-old Crystal Palace product signed by Man U for 50 million euros back in 2019. Great <laughs> business signed by Man U. He's made 125 appearances in three years, but currently this season he is out of the team to start the season. Not to minimize his game or to simplify it too much, but he does not get forward. He is very astute defensively, but he brings you nothing going forward in any way. 
And then you have Diego Delo, the 23-year-old from Porto. Man United, again, for him, $20 million back in 2018 when he was still a teenager. And I can't, I actually was fine with this. He was still only 23 years old. I feel like Delo has been <laughs> on, uh, I've heard about him for years and years and years. And then the the two likely candidates, if you will, are the ones that are highest on the queue, it seems like, is Thomas Monair, the 30-year-old, uh, again, another guy. I was like, oh, he's only 30, um, from Bruges, yeah. uh, from Bruges, rather, uh, PSG in Dortmund. It's where he spent his the last 10 years for 10 to 12 million euros in there. And then it seems like the favorite is Juan Foyth, the 24-year-old right back, 25 million euros from Villarreal seems to be his price tag. And with Foyth being the, we'll say the favorite here, I, you know, I did some deep diving on this. You know I would as far as looking mm. at the numbers here because I watched Villarreal's game against Real Valladolid from the, the from Saturday and trying to figure out, you know, I've, I've seen him before and I think his performance as Argentina is his ceiling, certainly, of what mm. we saw with him, especially the Copa America. And then in La Liga, you know, it's hot and cold. He was really good in the Europa League as well last season. Or sorry, in the Champions League. Sorry, Villarreal. In the Champions League last year. But, you know, the idea that his passing is so much better than Araujo's was a question that I was kind of wondering, right? Like, because it seems mm. like his position as a, he is a right back, but he is not a right. go forward right back. He is a stationary no. right center back, if anything. And yep. looking at the, from last season, in the Liga in particular, the progressive distance of passing was uh, Araujo in favor of Foyth. 8,608 8, total to 7,200, with Monier being at 6,500. As far as passing completion, Araujo was at 95%. Foyth was at 90%. As far as total distance on passes, Araujo was at 31,000. Foyth was at 18,000. You know, hmm. with, with similar numbers. As far as long passing, Araujo was hmm. 74% on all passes that broke at least two lines, and he completed 240 of those passes. Fourth, 69% completed just 97 of those passes. So while I do agree, the eye test tells me that Fourth is much more important going forward than Ronda Araujo is. I mean, in particular on his the pass types, rather, under hmm. pressure. Fourth, I mean, and that's the eye test too, that... I thought that fourth was better under pressure than Araujo, and he is. That is clear. His passes under pressure, 183 against a press. Araujo had just 138, where Araujo does make the safe pass more often than Foyth does. Foyth fails mm. by trying to go forward in a way that Araujo doesn't. But again, Araujo's passing, and this has to do with, I think, Barcelona's quality a little bit. But again, Villarreal exactly. last season, you could argue, was not that far behind Barcelona in terms of their build-up play and their ability on the ball. When I read you those stats, you know, I feel like those stats kind of back up some of the ideas I had that Foyth, while he does things better than Araujo, certainly, I don't certainly think he's the answer in any way for 25 million euros. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. 
Indeed.com slash blue wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yes, I would, I would agree with that. The, the first thing that strikes me when I see that list is it's a weird list. It's, um, <laughs> it's, there's some weird names there, some wingbacks, some defensive rightbacks, and it all depends on, on, on the type of player that Xavi actually wants, the profile of the player. And of course, it depends on who he sees as the, the starting right winger as well, because that also affects the, the role of the, of the right back who is behind him. Because do we need a supportive right back? Do we need someone who is more of a link up type of player, someone who's combinatory in their play, someone who doesn't necessarily overlap, but can just stay in support like an invert, inverted right back? Because that was the initial idea. And I went, I was scouting for right backs. It was, it was a couple of months ago as well. And in my mind, Xavi was looking for someone who can invert, someone who, someone in the Danny Alves mold, someone I was hoping that Dest would eventually become because that was, in my mind, Dest's ceiling was higher as an inverted right back than, than someone who would, who was a marauding, marauding uh, right back who would overlap like Alba, for example. So it all depends on what Xavi wants here because Juan Foyt is a tidy footballer. He's a he's an intelligent footballer. He, his work rate is high. He he's good defensively as well. So all that mm-hmm. is good. But is he someone who's a game changer, who's a ceiling raiser? I don't think so. And to be fair, with the money that we have left for 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 signing a fullback, I, you cannot really expect someone world class. I would say. And 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 I've, I've even seen reports that fourth is the perfect right, the perfect profile for Xavi's system. And I'm not sure if that is true because if he is, then then. We, then Xavi has something entirely different in mind that we that, that I thought that he that he would do uh, at the beginning of the season. Um, and then there were some reports that said that he wants a highly aggressive attacking young fullback, but fourth is not exactly that either. So I don't I don't really understand uh, how those names, especially with Bisaka as well, how did those names get on that list? Uh, it, it's it's kind of strange to me because if we want someone who's highly attacking, it, those names just don't fit the bill, right? And then we have Kunde, who theoretically could could do uh, a better job than, than Araujo can. Uh, he is much more comfortable on the ball. Defensively, they're, they're, they're both solid. So you get that part, that box ticked. So I guess Kunde would be, on paper at least, in theory, mm-hmm. he would be my choice. If, if we don't sign someone who is going to be a starting right back, then I think Kunde could be the one going forward. And then Araujo slots back into the centre-back position where he thrives when he's he's much better, obviously. Um, but yeah, as far as that, right, that, that short is concerned, I'm not really sure. I'm not that impressed with the names uh, because the profiles just don't don't seem to to click with me. That's, that's, those players may have quality, but they don't have the quality in the areas that Barca would need, right. I feel like. Yeah, and, and I feel like Xavi now is kind of pushing up against this. You know, I originally said from the first day he arrived with that that three four three seems to be the where that, that Xavi wanted to go with the three center backs. And, you know, he's kind of shut that down. He's really put some cold yeah. water on that whatever flame yeah. that existed of a three four three. But yet that's the squad he has. Like looking up and down the center back depth that to get Araujo and Eric Garcia and Kunde and Christensen on the field all at the same time, you know, Gerard PK be darned you have to basically play three at the back. You have four center backs to be able to, who I think give you more than your options at right back. And truly the frustrating thing is that the perfect right back for Xavi's system is Sergio Roberto. If he was better at every one of his skills, right? Because he can do everything that Xavi wants him to do, but he does it right at an average rate. He does it at a, 
you know, barely above average rate. And so yeah. Sergio Berto is not the answer. I mean, when he came on the field along with uh, Frankie de Young and Ansu Fati, his chemistry with Dembele was awful. Yeah, Just awful, awful. clearly looked like they had not had enough reps together, but they've been teammates for five years. Though, mm. interestingly enough, I, I did not do the math on this, but I can't imagine they've been on the field very long together. No, because, I don't think so. No, one. <laughs> right? Because Roberto was injured last year when Dembele was finally on the field. And even mm. in 2019, when Dembele had a little string of games there, Roberto was also injured at the same time there. So there, it's possible that those two have shared the field for like less than 30 or 40 appearances together. And at the time, mm. Dembele was playing up on the left a lot of that time because Messi was over on the right. So yeah, their chemistry was not great. Roberto and Dembele to say it. To, to put it mildly. And then to me, Dest and Dembele have always had good good chemistry. Believe it or not, I think the two of them mm. have worked well together. Again, that's just me and the eye test. And then Dest has always struggled with anybody else in front of him. And Xavi in training could maybe be seeing that, hey, if I want Rafinha to really be the starting right right winger and Dembele starting on the left usually, then I need Dest to work well with Rafinha and maybe that's not happening. And that's that's a death sentence for Dembele, I mean, for Dest. And it also could be monetary that if Barca think that they can bring in, you know, Monier for 10 to 12 million and they can sell Dest for 25 to 30 million, then that's business. That's 20 million euros that they're pocketing to, in their belief, enhance the squad in a better way in Bernardo Silva, or more importantly, register Bernardo Silva, right? Because it's one thing <laughs> to go buy him, but it's another thing, especially if Aubameyang's sale is kind of being forced to register Kunde, that's selling Dest and kind of just putting a stopgap there in it, right? Because I think at this point, Xavi's saying, well, I think one of these, we'll say uninspiring names, which we, we agree, one of these uninspiring names is still for a third of the price better than death. So get this kid out of here. He's not going to fit. It's not going to work in the future. And I think that's a bit frustrating because, you know, I, I think we've seen Eric Garcia improve and mm -hmm. I, I want to credit Xavi for some of that. And for Dest to kind of have, you know, it doesn't work out for everybody. So for him to be given up on in this way, it is frustrating because he is still, I mean, he's 22 now. So now you're mm -hmm. speaking about he has been in Barca for two and a half seasons. And, you know, it, it's, it's kind of now or never. But clearly everything came through the fullbacks. And then going through the midfield here, Domagoy against Raya Vallecano, you know, mm -hmm. in that first 10 minutes of the game, Dembele had six touches, Lewandowski had two. Barca had 96% passing and 79% possession. I'm not saying that the issue per se was necessarily Gabi because Pedri was also not finding any space. Pedri and Gabi, neither were really giving Lewandowski any service at all, yeah. what we're expecting. And I feel like I definitely have a hard time talking about Gabi, right? Because with Barca playing those high interiors, I feel like Gabi kind of gets lost in the shuffle because I don't know necessarily what he does wrong, but I know what he's not necessarily doing at a high level, right? Like he's not creating he's not creating space for Pedri and or, or vice versa Pedri didn't do it either in the first half and he's also not finding a way to turn quickly and get the ball up through the middle of the field while he's pretty adept at getting it diagonally he doesn't throw a lot of diagonal mm. balls out there but he does get it yeah. to his wing and he does work the ball well in small progressions so I felt like yesterday against Rio Barcelona were playing a bit as individuals and Gabi mm. needs to play a team game. It has to be one-touch passing. It has to be those small spaces, kind of, again, in the way that he was taught in La Masia for a decade. Well, I don't know how... Yeah, he's only 17, so do the math. But anyway, yeah. his whole, basically his whole <laughs> career since he came over from Real Betis. And Real Betis, their youth academy teaches very, very similar things. So his whole youth career, he was taught these, again, 10-yard, 12-yard, small passes. 
And Barcelona was just a bit too stretched out yesterday because of the way that Ryan Connor was shutting down the middle of the field so well. And again, that you put the blame, you start the blame out on the wings, and then you come inside. But yeah, I mean, for Gabi, yeah, I have nothing. I have nothing. I feel like no matter what I say, it's either going to be, you know, the aggregator is going to grab it because I don't believe in mm-hmm. Gabi. I don't think he's good enough. But I also yeah, of can't really yet tangibly understand what he needs to raise his level to to make an impact on that game. But I did get the sense that would Frank Kessie maybe have been more impactful as a starter mm. in that contest? And we even saw when Frankie de Young came on the difference that, 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 that was created, but Frankie was also picking the ball up a lot deeper than Gabi. Yeah, exactly. That's right. It was just a lot more, it, it was stretched out in different ways. Yeah, exactly. I mean, this was actually the perfect game for Frankie de Young's skill set because he does drop deep. He's when he started that left center back or the, the secondary progressor, whatever you want to call it, but he starts deep and then he carries the ball forward. That's different than trying to break down the block with passing because passing is like, oh, well, personally, I would always prefer my, my, um, the first and second phases of build, I would prefer to pass the ball out of pressure than, than dribble necessarily because dribbling is more riskier. But it also kind of is, it's, it's a lot different because it invites pressure towards you. When you dribble with the ball forward, you force the position to kind of abandon their positions and then space appears in other places around the pitch. And that's why Frankie de Jong's skill set was so valuable here. Gavi, on the other hand, he doesn't really do that. And I feel like a lot of this was due to just Rayo being well well organized because they had two players on Gavi the instant he touched the ball. And he had to do either turn like Frankie de Jong or just play one-touch football all the time, perfect one-touch football, which he couldn't do because there were two players from both sides collapsing onto him the instant he would be in possession, even before he got in possession. So I feel like, yes, uh, he maybe should have done better, but at the same time, Raya kind of did an excellent job mm-hmm. kind of minimizing his effect, his effectiveness, his, his area of effect as well. He just, he was cordoned into this small pocket that he would, that he could, that he could operate in and just, he, there was no way out for him. So in, in that way, yes, uh, it's it's kind of a a, mis, a mis, mishmash, is that as a word, partly Gavi's fault, but partly also Rayo doing a great job at at, at stopping him from doing anything more. Uh, and I feel like he was it was also Duo Chavi kind of giving Gavi the role that was I don't want to say uninspiring, but he was there just to eject other people into space. He was there. To, yeah. to complete that third match. Charlie talked about third, the third man after the match. And I feel like that was a big thing. But Barca, throughout the whole 90 minutes, I feel like they've successfully executed the third man maybe once or twice throughout the whole 90 minutes. And Gavi was just one cog in that whole machine. He wasn't meant to be anything spectacular. Like he was just meant to be one step on the way towards the, the final goal, of course. Uh Whereas Pedri, on the other hand, is much more free. He's much more influential. He he is the man through which you know everything moves. He is the he's the star of the show for it, in a sense. Well, well, Gavi has a much smaller role. Gavi is more of a I don't know a foot soldier. I always say I don't want to say a pawn, but you know might might be the expression to use here. <laughs> uh, and I feel like his role on his own wasn't anything spectacular. And when you add Rayo's well-organized defense, their block, their collapsing onto him that was instant and it was also very successful in what it did, you get this result. You get a very uninspiring performance that was that was never meant to be. It was never meant to be much more than that. But when you 
when you add the 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 intensity of the opposition and the difficulties that he faced, it becomes a very deflated performance. And to a certain extent, as I've said, it is his fault. He didn't really have the best of games, but at the same time, it's 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 also the role that he's been given, and also a part was just Raya being good at what it did. Yeah, I will say that he did have one or two moments where if the pass was better when he overlapped, there was that through mm-hmm. ball into Gabi. And if his, I mean, if he was able to get back to it and he was able to to bring it back to the middle of the field, that would have been something. But the, the balls to him from Rafinha on that overlap just weren't really mm-hmm. good enough. And again, he was getting no help on that right side from Araujo in that game. And Araujo yeah. and Xavi, both after the game, they both kind of said, hey, he was the problem here. And so we believe them, right? Gabi was not the problem. The problem yeah. <laughs> systemically was coming from the back moving forward, right? And Rio cutting down that space, yeah. as you said. Uh, in the same way that I saw some criticism of Busquets yesterday and defensively, yeah, other than the first yellow, like, I don't think that there was much to complain about Busquets yesterday. Uh, it's just a matter of, you know, when Rio is again shutting down that space in the middle of the field, he doesn't really have the mobility to, to kind of pick those pockets that Ryan may be giving him. But I, I think mm. offensively, there were no concerns for me. It was defensively that, yeah, there are one yep. or two concerns. But that said, Ryo had one shot in the first 30 minutes of the game. Uh, and, mm. you know, if not for Ter Stegen, now this is the credit to Mark on Ter Stegen, who's been, I mean, last year was almost a lost year for him as far as his abilities. Yeah. And clearly he just, I don't want to make an excuse because he had that early surgery in the fall and he just never looked healthy for the last two seasons. But, you know, those two saves he came up huge in, in the first half mm-hmm. stoppage time and then the 51st minute, just, I mean, important save, the difference between losing at home in your opener, which, yeah. again, where does that go? And I think the, the next thing here that uh, maybe the biggest thing we have to discuss that we didn't, it took us too long to get to was a narrative, right? That 0-0 against a, I think a team in Rio that is not going to be in a relegation fight, I think very much like last year, they were sixth in the table at, what, Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. right? Or Halloween. Yeah. That they were mm-hmm. sixth in the table. Rio Falcano was flying high and uh, Falcao was aging out. And, you know, he put them on his back quite a lot at the beginning of last year, but now he's kind of aging out and now he's on the bench and they've fit new guys for that system and they have a system and it makes sense. And, um, you know, Ariola has shown that he's learned how to, he learned how to defend at Athletic Club, of course. He learned how to make games ugly. He learned how to slow things down. Uh, and Ariel is going to be that kind of coach and a good coach for this team. And it's a perfect fit, uh, if not for a president that does not support the team in any way, right? Because they're a disaster behind the scenes, that being Rio. But for Barcelona, yeah, yeah. right, 0-0 to kick off the Liga is uninspiring because yeah. they, with all the signings, a goal was expected. And, you know, it felt like, and I know you felt the same way, where you feel like you spent all these weeks now defending your club and saying, oh, the, you know, I'm not a, a financial advisor by any means, but I kind of learned how to be so I could kind of try to defend what Barcelona was doing. Because if not, it's just yeah. reckless nonsense. And so doing all those things to kind of defend your club on social media and again, in here on the pod, just trying to say, you know, uh, are they crooks? Yeah, I mean, everybody's a crook, but maybe Barcelona aren't as big, as crooky as everyone else <laughs> is saying they are, right? Because they really were the... They were the the villain of the offseason, if you will. I mean, we're in our little Barcelona echo chamber. So certainly I think Chelsea gets a lot of hate. I mean, Manchester United is the laughing stock of world football, of course, even before the Brentford result. Man United just pile on and on and on that team. But the Barcelona, I mean, they're the ones that people are waiting for them to fail. They've been waiting a long time. They reveled in the 8-2 Bayern Munich. You could tell. Other teams were just so excited to watch this team fail. And so for Barca to start 0-0... Is it that big of a deal at all? No. I mean, you watch Real uh, Real Madrid. They were down to Almeria, who just got promoted. They were down for 
the at halftime in that game. And Almeria looked good. Almeria looked like a team that's going to stay up, like I predicted. Um, but for Real Madrid, I mean, they're going to drop points. Like they're they're not going to be perfect this year. They have their own problems. They haven't figured out how to not have Modric on the field and move the ball well. They've yet to solve that problem of their own. And so for Real Madrid, they're going to drop some points. Sevilla lost. They didn't even win. They lost, right? So the first, I think the first game of a season is always weird. But because of that yeah. narrative that we've been fighting about for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks, it felt like Barcelona owed us a victory. They owed us a dominant performance in front of 81,000 people. And then the team did not deliver. And that's the only reason it feels even more deflated. Because again, as I always say, in a vacuum, won the Liga match and getting one point against a team that might finish top eight is not the end of the world. Exactly. And I feel like the results will get there and, and this team this team will click eventually. And I, I we saw that Xavi was changing the team for the better even last season and with all the injuries. It was it was it was a tough second part of the season, of course, but I feel like this season things will click. I'm I'm confident they will, and we got the signings that we needed. Well, most of them. Uh, we'll see what happens with the fullback position. That that's that's always the question. But I feel like this season will be much much better. It should be much much better. And this game, as you said, is it, it just yes, it 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 leaves the sour taste in our mouths. But at the same time, we did see some good stuff. And on a different night, the, the game could have ended, you know, two or three zero in our in our favor. And of course. Raya could have won as well. That, that we shouldn't really forget that because they had their own chances as well. As you said, had it not been for Ter Stegen, we could have we could have uh, been talking about a, a much bigger backlash now than than there was. But yeah, as a whole, Rayo have been our kind of a boogeyman. I don't know. I don't know if, if that's that's a, the true word, but I feel like we yeah we struggle with them and and for a good reason because they are well organized. They they kind of cracked the code, even though it wasn't that hard to crack the code. They are good defensively. They know what they do well, and they know how to play against a team like Barcelona. And they know how to cause us trouble. And they did cause us trouble. The, well, third game running now. We'll see. We'll see if the fourth game is the charm for us. And hopefully it is. But yeah, I wouldn't be worried just yet. I feel like this is just you know, it's a process. It's a still it's still a process. It's a new team. Xavi is getting getting you know the the, the players he wants. He's he's finally getting the tactics right as well. I feel like he's getting there. Well, mm-hmm. not there yet just yet, but he is getting there. And and I don't know. I, I'm, I'm, I myself, I'm optimistic. I always try to be at least. Uh, and we'll see what happens uh, <laughs> in the coming weeks, I guess. Yeah, well, Busquets is now already suspended for the first match uh, yeah, on the yeah. road against Real Sociedad. So we might see Pjanic, but I think more likely we're going to see either Pedri Kessie yeah. and Busquets, or, or, or De Young, or we're going to yeah. see some combination of, uh, I, I do think it'll be probably be Pedri, Gabi, and De Young. That's possible, too. Mm. I think De Young gets a start. And then the other positive thing that we did see, though, other than De Young's performance, again, how, how positive is it for a player that I think at this point, every day that goes by that he's stucking around, I think he's stuck around. I think that's what yeah. how that's going to work for the yeah. price that he is. We, I went through his contract before on recent shows. We're not going to do that again. But the one thing that I was coming away from this is my final point here as we wrap the show up is that Ansu Fati, while he did not find the back of the goal, immediately had an impact on that game. Yeah. That Dembele yeah. and Rafinha are wingers. They are not really big threats in the box. And the minute Ansu came off that bench, and it shows you his ability potentially this year as Barca's big super sub as a forward, even more so than Aubameyang, that mm. once Ansu's on the field, he gets mixes it up in the box. And yeah. he is just a special finisher. He's special. And you could tell that 
the minute he got on that, uh, I mean that that one timer that just missed, yeah, and well, or sorry, was 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 blocked by Dimashevsky, who was just amazing in the game, of course. Of course. Yeah, so Anzu Anzu just reminded you that he's very very special, and then the ability that he has to just cr- not only create space for Lewandowski, but to occupy other defenders. Again, immediately mm-hmm. coming on, and when that shot came from, I believe it was Dembele from the left side, or was it? No, it was. Uh, Ruf- no, yeah, Rafinha came off for him. So yeah, that Dembele shot Dembele. from the left side. Ansu was attracting two different players on that shot, mm-hmm. uh, and so mm-hmm. if Ansu, as we keep saying and saying, I think I have to walk it back now that Lewandowski has arrived and Rafinha has arrived and Dembele is in the fr- in the in the fold. I said Pedri and Ansu were the key this season mm. and Ansu is, you know, especially with all his injuries, not looking like the key so much, but also a reminder that Ansu is so representative of where this team's ceiling is that a, mm. an inform Ansu Fati or an Ansu that can score 13 goals or 14 or 15, 16 goals off the bench where he starts yeah. uh, half the time. If that's what Ansu gives you, this team is obviously going to be flying high. And again, like yeah. their ceiling goes as far as he and Pedri and Araujo, like those names are not going to change. Because even Gabi, as you said, kind of just fits in the system. But Ansu mm. and Pedri and Araujo, their ceiling, and now we're adding Jules Kunde to that. Where how high those guys can fly is how high this team goes. Because again, Kunde still just twenty three, so I think mm. his ceiling has not yet been tapped. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, as I, I keep saying, Ansu Fati, Lewandowski, and Dembele. That's my optimal and ideal Barca front line. I know Rafinha is good. He is the game changer, as Xavi called them. But the thing is. I wouldn't really sacrifice Dembele by putting him on the left side just to accommodate Rafinha on the right side. Rafinha on the right side is a goal scorer because he cuts in and sh- he shoots outside the box. He has those, the, the left shot, the left footed shot. Dembele is then the creator on the left side who kind of feeds the ball into the into Lewandowski and to Rafinha. But when you put Rafinha on the left side, he becomes a creator as well. And he's not really that much of a creator. I mean, he is, he's okay, but he's not really elite in that. We've seen that he started crossing the ball a lot and it didn't really work that well. And then as soon as you get Ansu Fati into the mix, then suddenly you have Dembele, who is the elite creator on the right, and you have Ansu with the movement, you have Lewandowski with the movement, and you have those two kind of mixing up in the box. It's, I think that has the potential to be special. And not only that, you have Ansu, who's kind of more compatible with Jordi Alba on the left side as well, because he leaves the space for him. He, uh, the, the two can combine a bit better than, than Alba can combine with Rafinha, for example, or with the Belay for that matter. That didn't really seem to click either. Uh, so I feel like Fati in the starting 11 is the optimal way to go. And you know, God willing, and his fitness provided, if he's fit enough, if he starts the game, even if he comes off the bench and he's effective, yes, as you've said, I feel like that will determine a lot of our success this season. Yeah, I think we're going to see all those combinations at some point. Well, hopefully we will with everyone yeah. staying healthy. So regardless of who's on the field, definitely give Domagoy a follow down the show notes below on Twitter. Certainly give him a follow there and, and also watch out for his book. That is, we talked about in the past, we're going to talk about again in the future, uh, all about Messi. So you can follow us as well, the Barcelona Podcast across all different platforms, Patreon, YouTube. We have our merch store as well, the Barcelona Podcast, just in the show notes below. Most importantly, though, thanks for listening to the show. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon. Where's the Barca? I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. 
Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.